Hi, welcome to the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Big sports weekend in Cleveland as the Cavs open their home season tonight against the Charlotte Hornets. And then it's the Union Home Cleveland Marathon coming up on Saturday and Sunday. Big events for us. Here to talk about both of them is our own Scott Sattel. Scott serves as managing editor for Cranes Cleveland. Scott, thanks for joining us for the Landscape. Oh, thanks, uh, Dan. It's my first time on. I'm, I'm excited. So we mentioned the Cavs play their first home game tonight against the Hornets. They already played a game on Wednesday night. Pretty valiant effort, even though they lost 132-21. to If you want to treat yourself, watch John ja Morant. That kid is a real player for the Grizzlies. But maybe the Cavs found a real player, too, in their first-round pick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Evan Mobley, who you're referring to as the, um, uh, the, the Cavs' uh, first-rounder, he's uh, drafted third, and he looked really good. You know, he scored 17 points. He had nine rebounds. He was calm. He was creative. I mean, you know, it's it's it was kind of the, the a, a debut that um, you know you would would sort of write up if you wanted to you know craft a narrative that says this is going to be an important player for your team. And obviously, you draft a guy uh, number three, uh, he better be an important player for them if they're going to have any uh, any future. And you know, again, one game, you know, it's going to be a Long season with ups and downs, but you know that was really encouraging if you're a Cavs fan. I mean, again, one game doesn't tell you much, but is there anything else we think we can take away from just watching this game or what it might point toward in terms of what's going to happen this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I think you uh, used the term valiant for their efforts. I mean, it was a, a pretty resilient uh, game. You know, this is a team that, you know, people aren't expecting a whole lot from them, but, and, and they were, you know, they had some, they let uh, Memphis have some runs. They were, were down 14 at one point in the fourth quarter and, and actually pulled it to one point with uh, two and a half minutes left. So that was that was the good um, portion of it. Uh, you know, the, the downside is, you know, they, they did ultimately wound up uh, losing that game by 11 points, I think. Um, you know, and that's what young teams do. You know, they, they can't figure out ways, uh, you know, in, in clutch moments in, in close games to to actually win. Um, and the you know, the defense was pretty horrendous. Um, you know, they made some mistakes uh, down the stretch. Um, but, you know, this is a team that uh, they have, uh, they, the five players that they started yesterday all um, uh, are under 24 years old. So this is a very young team and, and young teams in the NBA typically don't win. Right. But tell me the point guard, both guards are, are young players and, and fairly highly drafted. How did they do last night? Yeah, you know, uh, Colin Sexton is uh, the shooting guard. He's in his fourth season. Um, you know, he has been a uh, you know growing as a scorer in the league. It wasn't his best game last night, but he was okay. He had 17 points. Um, Darius Garland, the point guard, he's uh, sort of more highly regarded. Um, he struggled a bit with with shooting, but he still wound up uh, double digit points and uh, uh, assists. Um, you know, I mean, they need both players to um, to be their main scorers. Um, it's it's a team that that sort of struggles to score, um, and you know, right now the way it's set up, um, Sexton and Garland are, are going to be the primary scorers. They've got some some help now with with Evan Mobley and another new addition, Laurie Markkinen. Um, but you know, if they don't, if they aren't getting um, consistent production from Sexton and and Garland, they will struggle to score. So the starting five, as you said, were young guys. Who are some veterans that are going to come off the bench that are going to make an impact on this team this year? I mean, the, the one who made a huge impact in, in the first game, and I would expect him to because he's, he's a good player. He would, would start on, on many uh, NBA teams, is, is Ricky Rubio. Um, he's, uh, you know, by the Cavs standards, he's an older player. He's 31. 
he's been you know around the league uh, for a while uh has, has kicked around for a few teams um you know if you ever see him in the olympics he he's a terrific player uh, in the olympics for for spain including this this most recent olympics and he was excellent last night and you can tell uh, this is the be- he's the best uh, guard off the bench that the Cavs have had in quite some time you know the the offense, um, you know, flowed very nicely when he was was there. He knows what to do with the ball. He knows where to get other guys the ball. He knows how to penetrate. He actually, by his standards, shot pretty well last night. He's not typically a, a very good uh, three-point shooter. But, you know, Rubio will definitely give the Cavs um, stability when Garland is not on the court. And he and, and uh, Rubio and uh, Garland may wind up playing down the stretch in, in some of these games. Rubio is also a, a little bit bigger than, than Garland and Sexton, and he's a better defender than the two of them. So realistically, what are our expectations this year? If we go 500, is that, will that be a pretty good accomplishment for a team that's so young? Or did there, is there playoffs in the possibility at all? I mean, you never know, but... 500 would be a miracle, I think. Uh, you know, okay. if, if you if you believe uh, uh, Las Vegas, um, and you know they're they're pretty good at this stuff. Um, they put the Cavs over under. It depends on, on where you look, but somewhere around 26 and a half, 27 and a half games. So, you know, Las Vegas would would think that they're looking at a season as something like 27 and 52 or 27 and 55. Sorry. Um, you know, that would be a little bit of an improvement from last year, but that's, that's still, you know, well out of the playoffs, even though the NBA now has, um, this, uh, expanded, uh, play in game playoff format. Um, you know, if the Cavs could get to over 30 wins, that would probably be a really nice season. It would, it would likely show that, um, you know, Evan Mobley had a successful rookie season and that, you know, somebody else, um, probably Darius Garland, but maybe Isaac Okoro, um, their small forward shooting guard who they drafted last season. Um, maybe he had, had made um, some strides too. So, you know, I mean, if you're a, if you're a Cavs fan, you know, I, I think you could probably look at it a couple of ways. You know, if, if they, if they won 30 games and lost 52, that's, um, a nice uh, progression, and yet uh, I think that everybody associated with the team would would still be disappointed because you know their their position is they want to contend um, for a playoff spot, and and why shouldn't they? I mean, of, of course they they should should go into the season um, having that as as their goal, um, but it, it doesn't it doesn't look likely. I mean, the team is again quite quite young. Young teams don't win in the NBA, generally speaking. Um, and they don't, you know, once, once you get past, uh, the first seven, maybe eight, um, players in the rotation, it's pretty thin in terms of, you know, high tier NBA quality players. There are some guys who, who can make some contributions and, and, you know, even somebody like, um, Jetty Osmond last night, um, shot the ball really well, um, when he came in, uh, and he was, he's coming off a, a really terrible season last year, um, but you know whether you can expect uh, consistent production from people past the first eight or so it doesn't seem likely. But you know we'll see. I mean that that'll be on the the coaching staff to you know to to coach some of these guys up and and get um, you know make sure that they're in the right roles that they're productive. This will be the first time before the pandemic that the Cavs actually play a game at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse before hopefully a full house. What does that mean for downtown these days? You know, it's it's interesting. You know, we're we're recording this on Thursday, which is um, the night the the Browns are, are playing on Thursday night against uh, 
the Broncos, and there's Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, uh, uh, where the Cavs play, will have a, a Michael Buble concert. So it's um, I'm sitting down here uh, right now, looking out the window, and it's amazing how many people are outside, uh, even uh, even now, well before uh, either of those events um, takes off. So. Um, you know, clearly, you know, having the opportunity to have 41 uh, Cavs home games with, you know, decent sized crowds would be, you know, a pretty significant lift, uh, mostly for, for bars and restaurants um, down here. They, they just um, have not had that kind of consistent traffic, uh, foot traffic that, that they rely on. So, you know, even though we're not looking at, uh, you know, the likelihood of a a deep Cavs uh, run into the playoffs, even if they were to be able to, to get there. This would be a, a big uh, a big help for downtown businesses to see more people um, coming down for Cavs games. Cavaliers recently signed what they're describing as a long-term partnership with Fubo Gaming, which is a subsidiary of Fubo TV. They're going to launch a sports book later this year. What are they hoping to accomplish by doing that? Yeah, it, it's interesting. This is the first um, NBA team partnership for um, for Fubo. Um, and, and the, you know, the Cavs uh, are going to do their part by, you know, working the Fubo uh, brand into an integrated marketing campaign. There's going to be signage. There'll be a, uh, if you're watching the Cavs on TV or listening to them on the radio, you'll hear uh, about Fubo and the, their digital and social channels are, are going to have um, information about it too. Um, it, you know, this is, this is all about leagues nba and, and others looking to to maximize revenue and you know if you if you watch any um espn or other sort of sports oriented programming you, you see more and more um gaming related um advertising and marketing um kind of sneaking its way in um so so fubo is looking to launch the a sports book in the fourth quarter but that does depend on regulatory approvals and uh, you know the launch in individual states is going to vary um you know, Fubo is is looking to um, increase its brand recognition in Ohio uh, before the state legalizes sports betting. Now, you know, right now, uh, even though you know Governor DeWine said back in March that uh, he viewed legalized sports betting as inevitable, uh, the legislature is still working on it. Um, Ohio is now behind um, bordering states um, in implementing sports betting, so. Uh, you know, in all likelihood, even even if the Ohio uh, legislature does something this year, we're really not looking until spring or so at the earliest where you'd be looking at, at betting, sports betting in Ohio. But that's a, a story that's still being written. It is interesting that, that NBA teams and, and uh, NFL teams are acknowledging the world of gambling. For years, they simply wouldn't touch it and they didn't want to talk about lines. You weren't supposed to mention that. When you listen to sportscasters, especially the, the, when they did the NFL games or NBA games, you never brought up the line. And as you said, you see it on ESPN. There are now radio networks dedicated to this. Was it just an inevitable thing they thought we're losing the opportunity to gain revenue if we don't acknowledge that people bet on these games? I think, you know, I mean, the cost structure of professional sports has, has gotten um, so big that, you know, they, they need to, they need to squeeze the money out of um, every possible potential source. So, you know, there's only, you may reach a point where you, you can only sell so many tickets. Um, and even though the, you know, TV and, and radio rights um, are, are always going up, you know, those deals are, are typically long-term deals. They get sort of capped out over a period of years um, you know, so as, as teams look to, to find revenue, this is, you know, one that 
obviously taps into something that, that people are interested in. Um, you know, people have been gambling uh, forever. And, you know, now with legalized sports betting and the internet has, has sort of opened the floodgates um, on all of this, um, you know, it, it, it's clearly going to be part. I think if, you, if you're watching Major League Baseball playoffs, sometimes you'll even see, um, you know, they'll, they'll uh, instead of uh, statistics um, for a player, they'll have some um, sports uh, betting related material. So it's, it's all over. Cranes recently produced a list of the highest paid professional athletes in town. So what did it reflect about the Cavs? Uh, well, it reflects that several of the Cavs are very well paid. Uh, you know, if, you, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you have a kid who's uh, thinking about getting in, uh, is good enough to be a professional athlete, I uh, kind of hope that they play basketball. Um, uh, you know, and even though he's, he's a little bit on the outs with fans and he's now uh, a, pers- a player who comes off the bench, uh, Kevin Love is still the highest paid uh, athlete in Cleveland. That's four years in a row now. He makes about $30 million a year. Um, Jared Allen, the center who had an excellent game against uh, Memphis on the uh, opening night, um, he's number two on that list. Uh, and then number three and four are Ricky Rubio and Lori Markinen. And then you go a little bit deeper with some of the, the younger guys, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Colin Sexton. They're all at number um, 12 through 15 um, on that list. So, um, you know, there's there's pretty obviously a, a, a lucrative uh, career for people who make it to the NBA. So we, if you're a hardcore Cavs fan, you say, well, 30 and 52 would be an improvement. But for the casual fan, they look at the team and go, do I want to watch another year of this? They didn't last year when the TV ratings were really bad. They were since before LeBron joined the team. Is there any thought that the numbers will possibly go back up? Is do, Or are people going to take a wait and see attitude? I, I'll also add something that I heard a sportscaster say last spring where he expressed open concern that maybe the Cavs would leave because of fan apathy. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those uh, things where winning cures everything. Yeah, you know, there's there's only, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to blame people for you know looking at a team that's that hasn't made the playoffs for a while is unlikely to make it this year and get terribly excited about them. And yet, uh, I, I don't know that you 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 know have to be a a, a super fan to. Uh, take a, a quick look at this team and say, you know, there are some intriguing pieces here. There are a lot of young guys um, who are going to have um, nice careers in the NBA. Is that going to lead necessarily, you know, this year to a successful season? Defined as making the playoffs, probably not. Um, but you know, if if you know, if people are uh, you know seeing Evan Mobley, you know, on a trajectory where he's looking like a Rookie of the Year candidate, and Darius Garland is sort of pushing his way into being um, something like an All Star, and the All Star game is in Cleveland in 2022, um, you know, that that could be quite exciting. Now, there's there's another factor here too, um, which is that um, it it is relatively speaking, harder now to watch the Cavs um, for some people. You know, the, the, the broadcasts are on Bally Sports Ohio. But if you're, uh, if you're somebody who's cut the cord and you um, watch on YouTube TV, uh, for example, um, you can't get games on that because um, Sinclair Broadcasting and the, the streamers have not um, yet been able to uh, to come to agreements. So it, it can definitely be frustrating if you're somebody like me who's, who's cut the cord. Um, you know, finding uh, a way to watch the games uh, takes a little bit of creativity. 
It also leads to another question, which is I know they want to maximize revenue, especially for the, for the television networks and, and, and the cable thing, but can you diminish fan interest by not showing the games? People say, well, never mind. I'll just, I'll do something else. Yeah, I, I think, you know, pretty clearly it's it's sort of out of sight, out of mind for for some folks if, if when, you know, the games aren't um, readily available to them. Um, and the team is, uh, you know, a sub 500 team. That that's a that's a difficult recipe for for putting together, um, you know, to get people um, all that uh, excited about them. But you know, as I said, th- this is this is a team that does have some intriguing pieces. And I think if you're somebody who enjoys basketball, it's it's probably worth checking them out and seeing where they're going. The Greater Cleveland Partnership has been acting to address diversity, equity, and inclusion in disparities around the region. They've recently formed an initiative they're calling Commit Cleveland, which aims to accentuate and accelerate uh, the overall diversity efforts. And the Cavs are part of Commit Cleveland as an inaugural member. So what is the real goal here? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we uh, ran a story last month. We talked with uh, Kevin Clayton, the, the Cavs uh, Vice President of um, Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement. And, and he said that he um, envisions vendor fairs where uh, the participants in Commit Clee, um, including the Cavs, um, are sort of linked directly to minority supply chain firms. Um, you know, what's really been a, a problem is there's there's this um, access to capital being a, a major barrier for MBEs. Um, but, you know, the Cavs have, have really made some nice progress um, in this regard. Now, um, Clayton came to the Cavs in April of, of uh, 2019 um, to lead the, the DEI, uh, DE&I department. Um, and since then, they've they've grown uh, the portfolio. I should say, actually, since slightly before Clayton arrived, that they've grown the portfolio from 42 vendors with about 1.3 million dollars in spend to 55 vendors with about three and a half million dollars in spend. So it's a, a pretty significant um, increase in terms of um, supporting underserved um, businesses. And, and this is something again. You know, I mentioned that the the Cavs, um, you know, they host NBA All Star Weekend. Uh, in 2022. So they're really looking to expand opportunities for um, Cleveland-based minority enterprises um, to deliver goods and services in, in these crucial commodity areas. And we all know uh, that, that supply chain is a, a hugely um, important uh, issue right now. We're talking with Scott Sattel. He's the managing editor of Cranes Cleveland. He joins us for the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Scott, another big sporting event, as we mentioned, is the Union Home Mortgage Cleveland Marathon competitions, which are Saturday and Sunday. I didn't realize this thing was so old, 44 years. Um, Does it attract like top-notch runners on the big Sunday marathon day who want to compete and win, like you would see in the Boston Marathon or the New York City Marathon? It does. I mean, it's it's not it's not quite at the level of, of those two marathons, but it it's a well-regarded you know regional event that you know has as you said it's, it's been around for more than forty years. Um, you know, it, it's really well run. People who participate in it like to do it. Um, you know, a, in a typical year, they get um, twelve thousand to fifteen thousand participants. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's something that's that's very well established. And you know has has grown nicely over the years. This year is you know a, a, a bit uh, of a, a change for them because um, it's it's the first um, in person event um, for them since um, since May 2019. How did they handle it in 2020? Did they just totally cancel the whole thing? No, no, they they did um, the virtual races where people essentially are, are doing them on their own and. Um, 
communicating with uh, marathon officials um, about how they did. So it's these these sort of virtual routes um, are something that that most events like that did um, last year. It, you know, it's it was a, a obviously 2020 was a, a difficult time for for pretty much everything. Um, but now you know they're they're looking to get back to um, you know a more traditional uh, approach to the marathon. Um, now you know they do have some challenges. And, you know, one, you know, they're doing this event in late October, and typically this is a spring event, usually in May. Um, so because of that, they're looking. I, I talked with Ralph Staff, who's the the race director, and he's the the son of Jack Staff, who's the executive director and owner of the marathon. Um, and they're expecting somewhere between 5,500 to 8,000 people to participate in the events. And that's, you know, a, a nice number. That's a lot of people taking part in your event. And yet it's, it's still, um, you know, down, uh, you know, anywhere from a third to almost a half from the, the typical level. And, and, you know, the big issue here is that, you know, because they, the pandemic forced them to push the event back, um, they're competing with races that were already established in September and October. Um, so in some cases, um, you know, these are, you know, people have already committed to, uh, you know, sort of a calendar of events where they would normally have done the Cleveland Marathon in the spring and something else in the, the fall um, they've had to choose. How has COVID changed the operation of the race? Yeah, you know, it's it's an outdoor event, obviously. So, you know, to, to some extent, uh, things aren't going to be all that different when when people are outside running um it's going to look like your typical marathon um but uh ralph staff said that um that officials are encouraging but they're not requiring um runners to be masked at the start um of the race um, when they're all bunched up and then remove masks when um you know the the race proceeds and, and they're more spread out um, the, the marathon also has a, a health and fitness expo. It's a, a free two-day event that's it's open to the public, and uh, participants uh, pick up their bibs and other race items. And but the expo also has race information and sponsors and screening and apparel and, and uh, vendor um, uh, booths. Um, you know, for for that, the marathon is encouraging masks, uh, but they've also partnered with um, Gojo. That's the Akron company that. Uh, uh, makes uh, Purell to have hand sanitization stations, and all the the volunteers um, at the race will be masked, and anybody who's handling food will be masked, and also will wear gloves. So, you know, if you're looking closely, there there will be um, elements of you know indicating how the the marathon has responded to the pandemic. You mentioned volunteers. It's always tough to get volunteers for events, even when they're popular. Sometimes, what do the people at the marathon think? Are they going to have enough people to staff what they need? Yeah, you know, he uh, Ralph said that the the marathon they they need something between fifteen hundred to two thousand volunteers to pull off the event. It's obviously a you know it's a, a big logistical challenge to have that many people um, over two days, um, uh, you know, running in, in various events uh, throughout the city. Um, and you know, it's always a challenge um, to to get uh, volunteers for for this event and, and others like it. Um, and this year, there's it's, it's no exception. He, he thinks that they'll get to the number that they need, but um, you know there is still a, uh, there are still opportunities to volunteer. If you go to the Cleveland Marathon um, website, there's a, a volunteer tab that people can sign up if they are inclined to volunteer to be part of the race. Where do spectators go if they want to watch? Yeah, you you know they you you can look at um, the race uh the, the 
the big marathon. And I, I should say that the the, the event is, is spread out over two days. Um, you've got the 5K and the 10K are held on um, Saturday, and the marathon and the half marathon are on uh, Sunday. Uh, and then, uh, so this year, the, the marathon will begin and end at, um, at Public Square. There will be a couple loops around the shoreway. Um, and then uh, the participants will cross the Detroit Superior and Hope Memorial Bridges. And then they'll go past the Rock Hall and the Science Center and First Energy Stadium and the West Side Market. Um, the, the marathon officials said that they've, they've sort of designed the route to be a little bit faster and include fewer turns. But, you know, for, for people who um, are watching this, um, you know, should be a very nice route through, you know, all of the kind of the highlights of downtown. The marathon has pushed hard for corporate sponsors in particular this year. How did they do? Were they able to get more corporate sponsors? Uh, yeah. They, uh, again, Ralph, Ralph said that um, the, the corporate sponsorships have been better than usual this year. Um, and, and that's important because of the, the lower number of participants. Um, and, you know, he believes that the, uh, the companies were sort of eager to get out there that there's sort of pent up demand um, to be part of a big community event. Um, so obviously, you know, Union Home Mortgage um, is is the event's uh, new title sponsor. Uh, it has Dole Packaged Foods as a partner. They're, they've got deals with Planet Fitness and Truly and Meyer and, and you know Gojo, which I mentioned um, as the sanitization sponsor. Planet Fitness is the the ex- exclusive fitness partner. Um, University Hospitals is the official medical provider. Um, you know, so it's it's been relatively speaking a, a success on the the corporate sponsorship side. But uh, you know, again, this is a, a a challenging year when you're trying to um, you know reestablish the event uh, in its its typical form after a, essentially a year off, and um, you know you're you're trying to uh, you know cover some revenue deficiencies from lower number of participants. Finally, any thoughts? Have they released any thoughts about plans for next year? Well, they definitely plan to return um, to a spring event, which has, again, been, been their bread and butter for over the years. Um, and I think they're, they're more comfortable having it in its traditional time frame. Um, that does create one challenge, though, and that's that you've got a quick turnaround. Um, here we are almost into November when they finish up this race. Um, you know, for, so for next spring, they'll have to sort of hit the, hit the ground running, so to speak, uh, to get things ready for coming back in, in spring of 2022. But, you know, they're, I, they're excited to get back to it. Uh, I think everyone's looking forward to, um, you know, a, a return to that typical schedule. It's always exciting to have a big sports weekend in Cleveland. Scott Sattel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. It was fun. Scott Sattel is our managing editor for Cranes Cleveland. He joined us for the Landscape Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.